take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. Now, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk into that passage in a moment, but I, I wanted to get you there. I haven't seen you in a while. It's so good to see. Um, I, I want to get to that passage, but let me let me say two more things that um, that you know, their their announcement their their announcement like, but super super important. If if I can do that. First of all, it's uh, we're coming up on Christmas Eve, and so our Christmas Eve services. Um, we, we, we obviously, we have them. We do three on uh, Christmas Eve. And what we like to do is provide that environment for families. So what we'll do, rather than two services, you know, here at Franklin, we'll do three services. We do four at Brentwood. And you'll see the service times here. And what we ask you to do, and I'm gonna ask you to do this now, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're willing, just grab your phone, shoot the link. And if you know, you know that you're coming to a certain time, go ahead and sign up for it now. Now, why do we do that? Because if, if we don't, then we could have like the, the, the first service has 600 people and, and that really does happen, it has, has happened. So we wanna encourage our church family to come you know, to the later ones, but you just go on, you click, click on, you click how many seats you're gonna need. Hey, I got family coming in town, so I need 12. Just click and get the 12. And that, that divides us up into, uh, into this room, into space we can be comfortable in, we can have all our kids in and feel comfortable. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a logistical necessity for us to do that. Number two, um, Christmas on the 25th is Saturday. Sunday, the 26th, we will not be worshiping in this room. So I just wanna get, get it on everyone's mind that we don't, don't show up here on Sunday. And I'm gonna say a second thing. We will not have an online service, okay? Uh, think about this season and, and, and all that's going on. I'll tell you, yesterday we had power out at, at Brentwood campus. We had to cancel Nowhere Town. They're gonna do one show of the Nowhere Town. And that's us. That's not just Brentwood. It's Franklin and Brentwood, it's our church. Um, Christmas services, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve services, all these. We're gonna give our team and you a, a, a window on the 26th to, to, to not gather. Does that make sense? We're taking a break, if I can be so blunt as to say that. For, for you too, because you gotta understand, there's 350, 400 volunteers that, that, make, that allow you to sit in the room right now across both campuses. So we won't gather that day. Uh, there won't be anything online, but be watching for an envelope in the mail. It is what we're calling the last gift. So there is a, a, a gift on the way. I'm just gonna say that and then add this. Do not open it. It'll say it on there. Do not open it until the 26th that morning. And then there will be a gift that'll, it will invite you in to a very, very unique worship experience. Everybody with me on that? Now, I thought about this when I was sitting there. If you're a guest, you'll get that if you get the church emails. If you don't get church emails, we don't have your address and we won't be able to get that to you. So, so email the church and just say, send me the last gift. They'll know what you're talking about. Just send it to the, you know, the church email address and we will we will get you on that. Everybody good with that? We've talked for weeks about how do we help people know this is what's gonna happen on the 26th? Well, now you know. Okay, back to Matthew. We're in this season of Advent, preparation. 
Y'all, preparation during Advent, if I boiled it down, it's this, waiting, isn't it? It's to wait. Um, one researcher specializing in, in uh, uh, social sciences, communication behavior, he said this, and I quote, waiting too long in a line is often perceived as a violation of our right to manage and control our time. We live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, which means we want what we want and we want it now and it better be quick and easy, end quote. Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, and I'm gonna just speak to myself and to we as Americans, we cannot stand to have to wait and we will fight waiting with all that we are. I wanna, as I've gotten into these series, I've thought of it this way, we resist waiting, but I do believe this is true. And I think this summarizes, in a sense, our whole waiting series during Advent. Waiting is God's invitation for us to remember who is in control. I'll say it again. Waiting is always God's invitation to us to remember who is in control. I'm talking about your wait in line at a grocery store, your wait at the airport, uh, your wait at home for someone to come home. You know what I'm saying? All waiting is God's invitation for us to remember who is in control. It makes a, it makes a ton of sense then that God would use waiting, like literally use waiting as one of his main tools to shape Christ in us. Doesn't that make sense? And it's why we're looking at waiting and we're taking these three characters from the biblical narrative. We you know, started with Simeon, Scott did Simeon and, uh, on, on the first week. We don't think of Simeon often around the story maybe, but Scott said this, the faithfulness of God will never let us down if we find our anticipation and hope in the person of Jesus and not the circumstances of life. That's out of Simeon's story. And then last week, Rob took, took us to Mary and we walked with Mary and in her story, Rob reminded us that the only way to wait well is with, an op- with open hands and an open heart. You just gotta be wide open when you're waiting. This morning, I'm gonna take us to a character in the story that is in every Christmas story. I mean, you can't have a Christmas manger scene without this person, but, but he never gets any attention. <laughs> no one really ever talks about him. And I'm talking about Joseph, the earthly father, of Christ. Now, when we get to Matthew, you all, it's, a, it's fascinating. Joseph in this Christmas narrative is the focal point. It, it's like Mary's, you know, others are, but Joseph is front and center. So I wanna walk us through this part of the narrative. I do believe um, when, we, when we get some of what's happening in Joseph and, and what he's doing actually, we get some lessons about waiting that are as profound as any in the scripture. So I've broken into the three sections. You're gonna look, we're gonna look at it this way. It's, it's just one paragraph. I'm gonna say it's, we're gonna start with Joseph's plan. That's gonna be verses 18 and 19, Joseph's plan. Then we go to God's plan. So there's Joseph's plan, then there's God's plan, verses 20 to 23. And then there, it ends with Joseph's obedience. So Joseph's plan, God's plan, Joseph's obedience. Follow along in your Bibles now, please, as I pick up God's word for us today, Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph's plan. Let's step back in time some 2,000 years because to kind of to understand what he's doing and what's happening, we've got to understand how they viewed marriage in that day. Scholars are divided a bit on, is it, is, are there two stages to marriage or are there three? I'm gonna walk us through what, what are three that could be combined into two. There is engagement. They had engagement in, in, in the biblical days, but that would occur when a child was a real child, almost baby-like, you know? Two fathers, like, hey, I like your family. You like my family. We're, you know, Sue's gonna marry Joe. Got it. I mean, that's when they're children, you know, infants almost. So that's engagement. Now, what came after engagement was betrothal, and that would have been a legal contract. So now you've got two families entering into a legal contract that Sue's gonna marry Joe, that, that, that we're, we're signing the papers, so to speak. In betrothal, those two individuals, the, the bride and the, the groom, are, are in many ways considered husband and wife. Even in the passage itself, they're betrothed. They're not married, but, but she's called, you know, wife. they're called wife and husband. It's such a binding contract that it's only dissolvable by a divorce or death in betrothal. Now, it's everything a marriage is except this. The bride and groom, they don't live together. They live in their parents' homes. Uh, There is no sex. They don't consummate the marriage. It is a time of waiting, of preparation. Now, it usually lasts a year. So for, uh, there's a span of a year where they're, they're really apart, not, not living together. They're in each other's, you know, they're living in their respective homes. Now, what happens in the story is during that time, Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, when we read that, it's not like Joseph, you know, we don't think that Joseph got that news and got all the news that Mary got when Gabriel came to her and said, you're gonna, be, you're gonna have a baby, it's gonna be the Holy Spirit. You know, for, for all we know, now we don't know this because we don't know if, Joseph, if, if Mary came and said, no, Joseph, you gotta understand this baby, the Holy Spirit, you know, an angel came, this is the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know, okay? What, what we do know is, is Joseph knows that's not my baby, okay? Just, just we sit in that. that. He knows that for a fact, <laughs> That, you know, he has not had sex with Mary. It's not his baby. That's what we know for sure. Uh, We also know for sure that it says Joseph is a just man. It means that he's a righteous man. He's a truthful man. He's an honest man. Um, He's a law keeper, okay? So he, 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 for him to, to, to marry a woman who is an unfaithful woman, you see, for him, it would be a violation of his conscience, um, we know as well that his justness is deeply embedded in deep compassion and kindness. Uh, we see in Joseph what we see in God, and that is hesed love, the Old Testament word translated steadfast love. Now we know that because we see in the text itself, it says Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame. Now, th- think about this. When we think of the heart, we think of the core of who you are, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. What do you see here? We see his desire. He had a desire to not put her to shame. 
And then he also exercised his will. So he desired this and then he, I, I will, I choose to divorce her quietly. Do you see the two of those acting together, his heart? Now, he could have divorced her in a public manner before a judge. And if he did that, let me say this, if he did it publicly, it would drag her through tremendous mud, but it would clear his name. If he did so privately, it would preserve her honor at perhaps in some people's eyes, the cost of his own. Now, Joseph is a, probably a teenager here, okay? But I think he demonstrates a measure of manhood that all of us would do well to ponder. This is, you know, I, I do think this can be an application out of the text. It certainly struck me, and so I'll offer this to you. If you're a member at Fellowship, I think you know this. Y'all, we will do everything we can to help you honor your marriage vows. I mean, we will fight for you. We will stand with you, both of you in, in, in your marriage. We will do all we can. And yet in, in, in fallenness, we know, I know this. Online, some of you look at me, some of you in the room, uh, your marriage ends in divorce. I mean, it, it comes to, to, to a divorce and separation for a variety of reasons that can happen. I only wanna offer this. In fact, I wanna plead with the men who hear me in this. If that happens, would you consider Joseph and be unwilling to put her to shame? And would you resolve to divorce quietly in a manner that honors your spouse, even though it costs you your reputation? I think Joseph offers us that even in this story. Now, upon receiving news that his life has been changed forever, you know, this was not Joseph's plan, right? So the, the, the pregnancy was not his plan. Um, and now, now the, the year-long wait has turned into an indefinite wait, hasn't it, for him, you know, whether he would, would marry. And so this, uh, you know, he makes his plan and then we note God actually has a plan. And that's what we pick up in verses 20 to 23. Notice in your text again, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you, will call, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we now step from Joseph's plan, I'm gonna divorce her quietly, to God's plan. Take her as your wife. I think it's interesting and it's worth noting that the, the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. He doesn't just say Joseph, Take, don't be afraid, take her as his wife. Why does he say son of David? When he says son of David, we're not in, in Matthew, but if we were studying Matthew and we saw that son of David, we'd immediately go to the first 17 verses because what, is the what are the first 17 verses? It's the genealogy of Jesus through the line of David to show that Joseph is in the line of 
David. Son of David is used 16 times in the gospels. Every time it's used, son of David, it's always Jesus, son of David, except this one. This one time when the angel wants Joseph to understand, no, you, you, Joseph, who will be the earthly father of Jesus and the line of the son of David. Now, why is this so important? The legal king of Israel must be a son of David. Now, I'm gonna talk about this next week, but I'm just gonna, I'll say this next week too, but let me say it now. There is a king in Israel right now, legally. Rome installed him. Do you know his name? Who's the king of Israel right now, right while this is happening? Anybody? Begins with an H. Herod. So Rome installs the king of Israel. Can I tell you this? Do you know Herod is an Edomite? It means Herod is in the line of Esau. Those of you who know your, some Bible history understand that the, the, king of Is, the true king of Israel will not come through the line of Esau, but through the line of his brother. What's his brother's name? Jacob. Can you so, so think about what's happening here. There's a king in Israel. He's not legit. The Jews know it. And so the angel says, Joseph, son of David, Jesus is the legal king of Israel through his adoption by Joseph. By a, Joseph's not the birth father. He adopts Jesus by taking Mary as his wife. Let me say this again, this is a, and it's not an aside per se, but I think we can certainly take it from the text. I wanna to say to every man, woman, and child in the room who's adopted, you wanna know how strong your adoption is, how, how truly your adoptive parents are your mom and your dad. Well, the legal kingship of Jesus comes through adoption, not by birth. Now, let me further explain. We go to the gospel of Luke and we find it begins with a genealogy of Mary and it connects Jesus, okay? Because Mary's related bloodline to the line of David and, and, and that genealogy connects Jesus to the bloodline of the line of David. But kingship, you all, comes through the sons. And therefore, we have Joseph who adopts Jesus as his son. I had someone, uh, well, actually not someone, Kari Scott came up to me after the service in Brentwood. And she said, Lloyd, you know, something really that's always stuck out to, to Richard and I as we adopted our two uh, it was when uh, we adopted them. And this is true here in Tennessee. We went to, through the adoption and the judge took us to the back room. And he said, I wanna tell you guys something. And he had him privately and he said, you do understand that in Tennessee, it is illegal 
to ever disown an adopted child. You, 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 can, you can't legally ever disown an adopted child. And it's, of course, some of us in the room are thinking, you can disown your biological ones, but not your adopted. Wow. No wonder the scripture reminds us that when we put our faith in Christ, can we all say this? We're all adopted into the family of God. Well, I wanna go to Joseph's obedience, God's plan or Joseph's plan, God's plan, and then Joseph's obedience. Let's pick up finally on verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. You know, in a, in a very visual sense, you can see it this way. There's Joseph's plan. There's God's plan. And when, when, when Joseph's plan runs into God's plan, Joseph's plan goes away <laughs> and it comes out as Joseph's obedience. This is the way of the life. This is the way of following Jesus. Now, when it says he took his wife, it tells us he immediately took her as his wife because they weren't married yet, you all. They were betrothed. Did they do the big celebrations, which would go as long as a week for a wedding? We don't, we don't know. What we know is he immediately took her as his wife. It says he knew her not, means he didn't have sex with her until Jesus was born. May I say this? <coughs> Just to clarify, contrary to, you know, some of us come from a Catholic background, and I would, I would, I would argue that the scriptures do, in no way even imply that Mary was a, perpetual virgin, but they, she was a virgin until Jesus, Jesus was born, but there's nothing in the story of the, the, the scripture that would tell us she remains a virgin. Uh, in fact, when you look at Matthew, and if you read the book, it, it's it just take it as it's, as it's spoken, Matthew 12, Matthew 13, twice in Matthew 13, speaks of Jesus's brothers and Jesus's sisters. Um, he named the boy Jesus. That's the name the angel instructed him to give. If the angel instructs Joseph to give this name, that means God names Jesus because God is his father. Okay, let me give us three points of application, three, three insights we might ponder and, and, and begin to think, how, how, do, how does this apply to my life? The first one, um, make sure you're waiting for the right thing. I think that we can take this from Joseph. Make sure you're waiting for the right thing. What, what do you mean by that, waiting for the right thing? Well, the text tells us, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Um, that, that's the main thing. Uh, again, I'm gonna talk about this next week right on the precursor to our Christmas Eve. If you read the gospels, you'll, you'll find that the people of Israel, they, they weren't really waiting for, for, for God to deal with the problem of their sin. They were waiting for God to kick the snot out of Rome and to beat up everyone who's been beating up on them and to set them free from all the cultural and social and political bondage. I mean, that's what you see. That's who they wanted. They wanted a king who would you know, take them out. 
they, they may, you know, it may have been thinking, look, we've already got a way to deal with sin. That's why we make sacrifices. That's why we cut these animals and the blood is poured out. No, no, no. See, the, the ultimate problem is sin. And while they were waiting for, 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 for God to come and set everything right, listen, God will come one day on the day of Christ and set all things right. But that doesn't happen apart from dealing with the core problem of our sin, our rebellion. And that's dealt with in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. So, so let me offer you this. When we're waiting, and, and again, you just find yourself waiting and God puts a big pause on your life in a massive way, or it's just a little small pause. Always be waiting, make sure you're waiting for the right thing. Scott said this in his message about, you know, don't be waiting for the circumstance to change. The first place to look is see that wait as an opportunity to reflect on the reality of the gospel in your life. Am I resting in the fullness of Christ? You have a moment to wait rather than pull out your phone. Listen, I do this all the time. I can't stand to wait. And so I pull out my phone. I do something that's like, I, I can't wait. Rather than pull out our phone, perhaps we would ponder the psalmist when the psalmist said and, 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 and cried out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. How about that as the thing we do when we find ourselves having to wait? We're waiting on the gospel's fullness in our life. Secondly, trust God and go to sleep. What does this tell us? It tells us we trust God and we go to sleep. Now, this is easier said than done. I get this. I don't wanna oversimplify it, but I don't wanna miss the simplicity of it. I am a born worrier. I am worst case scenario. I'm anxious, you know. I have trouble sleeping when things are awry. There's no question about it. But what we see in Joseph, and we see this elsewhere, is um, he's waiting, but isn't it interesting? He's, he's still sleeping really well. You know, in that chapter in Proverbs, um, we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's a great proverb. You know, a little bit later in that same chapter, it says of the one who's doing that, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Um, now there's reasons we have trouble sleeping. Y'all, I sleep with that thing on. If I showed you a picture of me with my sleep apnea thing on, you'd just giggle to death. It's hilarious. But we have reasons we don't sleep. But we know that sleep, there's no arguing this. <laughs> you gotta have sleep to physically live. It's, it's like oxygen, you know, you gotta have sleep. So we know the importance of sleep. But we often don't think about sleep in connection with our spiritual lives. But they're, they're inseparable. The measure of our rest, our sleep, quite frankly, is a Pretty good indication of how we're doing spiritually. I said earlier, waiting on God, waiting is God's invitation to remember who is in control. Let me ask you, 
How much can you do about the problem that's keeping you awake when you're asleep, right? You, you, you literally can do nothing. I don't think I, I, don't think I said this when I, when I, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've said this to you all. You know, waiting is not a consequence of the fall. See, we kind of think, oh my gosh, we don't have to wait in heaven. Well, sure, we'll wait in heaven. It's called time and moments pass, and that's eternity. <laughs> um, waiting, they waited in the garden, the unfallen garden. Trees, you know, plants they ate didn't just put in their eat, let's go eat them. No, they, it took time. They cultivated it day by day. They walked with God in the garden. They would wait on God and walk with God. See, waiting is not a, a part of the curse. Waiting's wired into our image of Godness, into how he's made creation and all things in it, including us. Perhaps that's why he made sleep because you can't do anything when you're sleeping. Trust God and sleep. You know, the reason we can trust God when we sleep, the psalmist said it, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God alone, he's never off guard. Well, Joseph got word in his sleep, didn't he? That's, that's when God spoke to him. Now, it tells me this, that God's plan for him and God communicating that plan to him, y'all, was pure grace. It was pure, what was he doing? That He was doing nothing, he was asleep. And God in his grace said, this is what's happening and this is what I'm inviting you, I'm commanding you to do. Third, waiting is first about obedience and not inquiry. Let me say it. Waiting is first of all, if I, if I come up to something and I have to wait, the, the first thing is my obedience in the waiting, not my inquiry about why am I waiting? Wait, you need to explain this to me. When I read the story, what we see in this story over and over, it happens three times. It happens here, your wife's pregnant, you know it's not yours, and you have a, and, and God says, take her as your wife. A little later here, it's killing all the babies. Joseph doesn't know what to do. God comes to him and says, you need to leave, you need to leave now, and they left in the night. A few years later, Herod's dead. God comes to Joseph in a dream again and says, Joseph, you need to get up, you need to go back to Israel. And every time, every time what's interesting is after Joseph hears from the angel, the next line is, and Joseph did. Joseph did what the angel said. You don't see any questioning. You don't, and again, I, I, it's okay to question God and it's okay to wrestle with some questions. But if we think we've got to have the question answered before we take this step of obedience to what God said, we'll, we'll never move off the dime. It's so interesting to me, y'all, that Joseph... He speaks so loudly, doesn't he? You will never find a word in your Bible that he said. It's not there. Just all that he did. Yo, could you imagine? I, I don't know. You know, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. I go, wait a minute. Con conceived by the Holy Spirit. Can you explain that to me? 
can you explain to me how my wife has a baby by the Holy Spirit? And if you'll explain that to me, I think we can get some. No, it's none of that, none of that. Y'all, it's 2000 years later. We don't know how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary to impregnate her any more than we know how the spirit was hovering over the dark and created all that is. But we know what God says and we can choose to obey. So what? Let me invite the worship team out. I'm gonna give you a moment to ponder an application and then we're gonna sing, we're gonna respond in song. Let me say this, let me walk you through this application. And right now I'm inviting you to, to go beyond. Oh, that was interesting. There's three things that Joseph did. No, no, let's go beyond to say, how does the word apply to me today? What's it calling, what's, it, what's my step of obedience? What's it calling me to by the power of the spirit? Um, I will say this, none of us will probably, um, that could happen. I'm not gonna say it would never happen, but none of us will probably have a dream and an angel will visit you and tell you what to do. That's not normative per se, but it's certainly not out of what God can do. And the reason I would say that is because God has spoken. That we have his, we have all that he, he, he knows that we need to have to, to know him and to follow him and obey him. It's all right here. So, so we, we have the word of the angel. Can I say it that way? The word of the angel be the word of God to us. So we have the word of the angel. The question would be, what do we do when the angel has left? Now, if you've been to Nowhere Town, I love this. They wrote a song called After the Angels Leave. Brian wrote it, Brian Yakabowski and Nate. And, and I, I love the, the way they pen this. Now, they, they wrote this for that, not just because I was teaching on this, but listen how this, this song goes. It says, you never know when all your plans will disappear before your eyes, when out of the silence, a holy giant will wake you up cold in the dead of night. Joseph, do not be afraid. You never know when the time for prophecy will end and the promise will come alive. You think you know your place, but then everything can change when you're called to live another life. When heaven meets earth, you can't be who you were. It's fair to be scared. There's a time to be, but oh, it's time to believe after the angels leave. What would be your point of application. I want you to take a moment. Everybody go ahead and stand. We're gonna respond in song. But get your body up and, and, and you know, moving. What is, the, what is the promise of God that meets your weight? In other words, what, what's a promise that is in your mind? It could be from childhood, a ver, memory verse or something I've read, anything that, you know, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll give everyone that one. But how does that promise come to your weight? There's no one in the room or online that's not waiting for something. How does that promise come to that weight? For seeing that in that place where you take the promise and the weight, we find the sufficiency of the gospel in Christ and who he is. And in that place, I, I really believe this in the power of the spirit, you all. Make sure you're waiting for the right thing. Choose a step of obedience, even if you can't answer the, the, the how.
take a moment and do that. Ultimately, you all, we can wait. All of us can wait wherever that point is that we're waiting because of what we celebrate. Because in Christ himself, hope is born. That's our deep and abiding rest in our waiting. Let's sing of that promise.